Luke chapter 7, 11. Not 7, 11. Luke chapter 11. I've been saying it too much. Let's pray because I need to focus. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we got to recognize our graduates. Lord, I pray that you continue to be with them, be with us now as we, as we study, as we refocus, as we settle down and, and get into your word, as we continue what we were talking about last week with the Pharisees and now the scribes. Lord, I pray that you would just reveal some things to us, Lord, that, that we were unaware of. Lord, things that are in us that are not of you. Lord, things that, that only you can change, Lord. And um, I pray that we see you in this and we see how good you are. So we just love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so Luke chapter 11, let me grab my notes really quick. Last week, <clears throat> we had a few woes that Jesus pronounced upon the Pharisees, calling them a bunch of hypocrites, basically. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week as he gets into it in chapter 12 and verse 1. He calls them, uh, again, a bunch of hypocrites, uh, basically um, bread that's, that's uh, leavened, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Um, but one of the main things that we saw last week was that they were more worried about the outside appearance rather than the inside. And so we talked, just the, the simple analogy of how, you know, if you were going to eat cereal, and would you rather eat with a bowl that is clean on the inside and dirty on the outside, or clean on the outside and dirty on the inside? Obviously, we would all pick the one that's on the inside because the inside is the most important. That's what you're going to be tasting, right? I don't, I don't want some, you know, three-day-old spaghetti in my cereal. And, uh, <clears throat> but here's the thing, and, and I even explained this last week, that that's not the greatest analogy because ultimately if Jesus cleanses the inside, the outside is going to be clean too. You know, so it's not one of those things where Jesus cleanses you on the inside and the outward appearance is all gross. And when I'm speaking about the outward appearance, it's like, it's not going to take away your pimples and your zits, okay? That's, that's not what, what's going to happen here. But, but your conduct and in, in your, in your actions and the way that you, you handle yourself is, is going to mimic what's truly in your heart. And, and Jesus was like, you Pharisees, you're playing you know, the hypocrite, the actor that wears the mask where you're not really who you really are on the inside, but you're trying to have this facade for everyone to see. Because that's what they were worried about. They didn't care what God thought. They cared what other people thought. At the end of the day, who cares what other people thought, think about you? Because it, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't add anything to your life. It really doesn't take anything away from your life. And when you stand at the great white throne of judgment, you know, other people aren't going to be there to vouch for Jeffrey and saying, yeah, he was a really awesome guy. He did all these things. That, they're not going to be there judging me or helping me in that judgment. I'm standing alone before a, a perfect and just and holy God who knows and sees all and could, in a sense, care less about the outside, but is more worried about the inside, the heart, right? He cares about your heart. And we see this as an example all throughout Scripture, where God cares about the heart, because the heart is what then changes the outside. You can't change the outside to change the inside. No man can change their own heart. We just can't, but God can. He's, he's the only one that has that, that capability. And so by being born again, by, by confessing our sins and believing in Jesus Christ, he gives us that new heart. It's, it's, you know, it's this transformation that he, he gives us. And from that, there's this slow sanctification process that happens throughout your life where then the things in your heart are slowly cleansed and then also the, the, the conduct on the outside follows suit as well. And so he, he says to them in verse 39, he says, Now you Pharisees, make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Again, all they cared about was the perception that people had for them. 
And yet here's God who's standing right in front of them and could see right through them, could, could just see the fakeness, could see the hypocrisy, could see that you know, they were dirty on the outside and the inside, no matter how hard they tried to portray themselves. So then we get into verse 45, because remember, Jesus, and if you weren't here last week, Jesus is having dinner with these people. It says in verse 37 that a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so Jesus went in and sat down to eat. Jesus was willing, you know, even though he knew their heart and how wicked they were, we got to know that Jesus died for all, right? He doesn't want any man to perish, even the hypocrites, right? It's, Jesus doesn't look at the hypocrite and think, you know, forget you. Like, you have it completely wrong. You don't even know me, but forget you. No, he, he cares and he loves, right? But he's also the type of God that couples that love with truth. And so he's about to spill some crazy truth to these Pharisees to the point where it's going to offend them, right? But here's the thing, guys. I'm all for truth. And if, if you haven't gotten that in the past two years with all the misconceptions and the lies that the world has thrown at us from our government to our organizations, to Disney, to the movies, to everything that has lied to our faces, I'm all for truth. But we got to remember, and, and I, I was just reminded of this last week, we got to remember that we always have to couple that truth with love. We can't be so for truth that we, we slap it and slam it down people's throat and slap them across the face with it, that, that they can't hear it, they can't take it, because all of a sudden you sound like clinging symbols, right? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, if, if you don't have love, you, you sound like clinging symbols. <clears throat> so the other day, <clears throat> we get a phone call at church, and we never know who's going to call, right? It, it, we don't know. So this guy calls, and he has a question, and Kaylin, who's interning here, answers the phone, and the guy asks all these questions. And within like a minute in, I overheard the conversation. I said, Kaylin, that's a Jehovah's Witness. And I got sucked into this a year ago, and I lost about an hour of my time until the end I realized that the guy was a Jehovah's Witness. So he asked all these questions, and, and they call, and it was the same guy. Okay, it was the same guy. So I said, Kalen, tell him you don't have the time for this right now, blah, 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 blah. And um, he wants to prove that Jesus is not the Son of God, that he's not, you know, he's not God, okay, that he's, he's a created being. That's what the Jehovah's Witness believe. And I'm like, look, I don't have time to argue about this because this guy is, anyways. So the guy was, was kept pushing, trying to get him to answer. And um, so I said, Kalen, just transfer him to me. So I get on the phone and I said, guy, I know you called like a year ago, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to go through this again. It's, he asked the same exact questions. And I'm like, we've already talked about this. And so I, I was trying my hardest because I can be very like, snarky and I don't know, smart with the way that I can talk sometimes and, and kind of just, anyways, I was trying my hardest not to do anything like that because I'm representing one, Christ, but also he called the church. <laughs> he knows where I'm at. I don't know where he's at. But, uh, so I'm trying to be nice, but he, he kept badgering and he kept, you know, trying to, at one point, as I'm being calm and I'm, I'm being, and I'm trying to hear him out, but I'm trying to I also talk to him, he kept talking over me and this, I'm not trying to bash Jehovah's Witness. I'm just trying to give you an example. So he's trying to tell me the truth, his truth, the, the truth that they believe of Scripture. But he kept talking over me. He kept interrupting me. He at one point started yelling at me. And at one point, he called me pal. And I was like, are you kidding me? Now, listen, ladies, young men, if you don't know, like, I think young men understand this. Like, if, if a grown man calls you pal, like, that is, 
very demeaning, okay? Because at, at, at the whole point before that, he was calling me by my name, Jeffrey. So that, then at one point, he said, pal. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? It's like someone calling you bud or, or buddy. And it's like, bro, we're not, we're not. Anyways, it's, it's just demeaning. And he, I knew he meant it that way. But he kept just yelling and talking over me. And I, I'm saying all this, okay, to tell you this. That as I'm listening to him, I'm thinking, man, if you had the truth, let's just hypothetically say you have the truth and you're trying to tell it to me, I can't hear it. Because you are no way are sharing this in love. Like all, all I could think of was that verse that you sound like clanging cymbals, you know? And that made me think, I don't want to be that way because I, I know the truth. And when I share the truth, I don't want to be the one that sounds like him so that, you know, I, I'm sharing truth without love. That doesn't work. That, that's called, there's a quote that says, love without truth is hypocrisy and truth without love is brutality. And that's what it felt like, you know? And so we got to be very mindful that, that we speak the truth but we also do it in love. And we know that Jesus does that because Jesus is God and God is love. And so we see that in this section here as he gives these woes to these Pharisees and he gives these woes to the scribes. Is it important? No. Gives these, these woes and he, and, and he calls them out, right? And he tells them, you know, this is what you're doing and it's wrong, right? And, and they get butthurt by it. They get, their feelings, you know, it, they're hurt. And then they get angry. They, they turn that hurt into anger, and then they turn that anger into trying to, you know, find some fault in Jesus so that they could crucify him. You know, that, that was this whole transition. But here's the thing. When, when, when truth comes at you in love, there's one of two things you can do. You can either reject it and become hurt and angry, or you can accept it, right, and learn from it and, and, and humble yourselves and submit to that truth, you know, and, and God can free you from those things that you've been doing that were wrong. And so he says to the Pharisees, again, in verse 39... And he says, your outsides, you know, looks like it's clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. And he says, foolish ones. He calls them foolish. Do not he, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? <coughs> Referring to, to, to him, to God. And then he goes on with another couple things, another, a few woes. And so as he's having dinner with these Pharisees, the lawyers are there too. The lawyers, scribes, same thing, just two different names for them. They're there too, and they hear this. And, and the things that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is hitting close to home for the lawyers and the, the, the scribes, and, and they're getting a little hurt by it too. They're getting a little offended because Jesus is, is really close to, to calling them out as well. And so one of the, the lawyers responds here in verse 45, and he says this as Jesus finished up our, what we were talking about last week says, one of the lawyers answered and said to him, <clears throat> Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. And we'll talk about what that means in a minute. And so Jesus responds, and he says, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, 
Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you, those who were entering in you hindered. And as Jesus said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. And so we see that their response here is one of anger and, and trying to respond in anger. And everything that Jesus says to them is truth. Like, it's, this isn't something that, that Jesus is saying, and it's not true, you know, and they're trying to defend themselves. <clears throat> what they realize is that it is true, and they're, they're probably shocked because they realize that, that this man knows the things that no one else knows, and he's openly calling them out on it. And so their response is to then try to catch him in something. You know, if he's going to call us out on something that we're doing wrong, let's, let's try to make it even, and let's catch him in something that he's doing wrong. But they're going to find out that, <coughs> obviously, they're incapable of that. So I cannot find my notes. I don't know where they are. But anyways, so Luke chapter 11, verse 45, Jesus is still talking. The lawyer comes up to him. He says, you say these things. By saying these things, you reproach us also. Remember, again, they were, he was getting pretty close to him <clears throat> talking about what the lawyers were saying. So the lawyers, the scribes, they knew the law. They knew it inside and out. They, they were like the law keepers. Okay, so what eventually happened was, you know, God gave Moses a bunch of different laws that the, that the Jews were supposed to abide by. Right? I think there's over like, I can't remember exactly how many, maybe 600 or something different laws that they were supposed to abide by. And one of the things that we see was the law was, was there to show them their imperfection, <coughs> was to show them that, that they're, not, they're not good, right? Also means which they're not perfect, and they're in need of a God who is good, who is perfect, right? And so it was that the law was to point them to the one to come that could fulfill the law, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And so Jesus came to fulfill that law. And we see this in the New Testament, and what they did was they took all these things that were, you know, good for practical living. Like, you know, don't do this because if you do do it, the consequence is probably dying, right? You know, like as simple as let's, let's come up with like a fake law. Don't jump off a five-story building. You're like, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care about rules. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to jump off of it. Well, why is that law there? Because if you try to jump off, what's going to happen? You're going to die, right? Like, that's, that's just the natural consequence of it, right? So there was all these laws that, that were also helpful, right? Like, they're there for our good and our benefit. The same thing with the laws that we have now in our land in America, right? <clears throat> there are certain laws that we have that are, are beneficial for us, you know, like, like wearing a seatbelt, right? I know we might hate doing that, but what's it there for? Well, so when you get in a crash, you don't fly out the car, right? I mean, you can try it if you want, but... One, you'll get in trouble with the law, and two, you'll get in trouble with nature because once you hit that tree, you're flying out. So what they tried to do, what the, what the, what the scribes, the lawyers tried to do, was they tried to add to this law. And they added their own interpretations and their own, their own traditions and their own laws that it was, like, really hard to keep up with. Like, that, it, you know, you would eventually continually fail <clears throat> And so they put this heavy burden upon the people 
by, by doing so. And that's what Jesus calls them out for. He says, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. He's like, you put all this burden on people. And here's the beautiful thing, guys, and I want to encourage you with this, okay, is that for us as New Testament Christians, now that Jesus has died and rose again, we live by the law of grace, that we are bound by grace, that we are given the grace of God, we are given the righteousness of Jesus just by simple faith in him, and that we don't do works to be justified. We don't have to, you know, in a sense, abide by the works to be justified at all. So we, we have this freedom, we have this liberty in the spirit by grace. That's a beautiful thing, but in their time, because these men were putting all these burdens on them, it, was, it almost felt hopeless, right? But we have so much hope because we have that freedom of grace. And I wanna, I'll get into it in a minute, but that doesn't mean because we have all this grace that Jesus gives us, right, this, this freedom in a sense because we've been born again, doesn't mean that we, we don't abide by rules or commands, right? doesn't mean that we don't do things that are morally good, right? I mean, no, it does mean that we do things that are morally good. It doesn't mean that we don't think, do things that are immorally, that are immoral. And so a lot of people will try to take advantage of that grace and think, well, I'm, I'm covered by the grace of God, so I can, I can really do whatever I want. Because at the end of the day, God, God forgives me and God has forgiven me. So I'll just do whatever I want. But here's the thing. <clears throat> Even though I don't live by technically, and I don't receive my salvation and my justification through works, because I've been given grace, it's through that, that natural, now that I have grace in the Spirit of God, I do things that are of the Spirit of God, which means that I am obedient to the things of God. I don't do it for justification. I don't do it for salvation. And I don't even do it to receive grace. But because I've received that grace, I want to obey God. And I find more freedom in obeying the commands that Jesus gives us. And ultimately what Jesus says is that, you know, the law is there and it was, it was used as a tutor, right, to point us to, to, to Christ. And he says, and then, you know, these people come up to him and ask Jesus, well, what's, what's the greatest commandment in, in the law, right? Jesus gives them a perfect answer, right? He says, there, there's two great commandments that cover all the law and all the prophets, and those two commandments are what? The greatest commandment is to love God. Thanks, Joe. You're the only one that knows this. And love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so you, you can't do the second one without the first one, right? And basically what he's saying is, you know, you've got all these, these commands that Jesus gives us, and Jesus gives us commands, and we have to abide by them because we want to, and they're not burdensome. They're freeing, and it just comes naturally because we have the grace of God. And so that's, I don't know where I was going with that, but um, it's just, it's a freeing thing to know that we're, we live in grace, right? That, that we're, we're bound by grace. Not Grace Corman, but the grace of, of Jesus. And I really don't have my notes. All right, well, I guess that's it. Paul says it well, too. He says in uh, Corinthians, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians, actually, just turn there really quick. So I don't have my notes, so we'll just have to turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just to give you a few more examples of, you know, the law and grace. <clears throat> I 
I think it was First Corinthians six. It is verse twelve. Paul says, "All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any." And that's that's a wonderful verse there, an encouragement for us as as Christians. So I'll give you an example, okay? So I'm born again. I have the grace of God. I really have the freedom to do kind of whatever I want, right? And there's a lot of, like, gray areas in our lives that we don't know whether it's, you know, truly sin or not. You know, for instance, like, watching certain types of movies, okay? So I'll give you this. Paul says, all things are lawful for me. I can go and watch that movie, okay? I'll give you an example. I'll give you uh, the new Thor, okay? Or the new Doctor Strange or Stranger Things. Uh, How about this? Any new movie that just came out, okay? Including a Disney movie. I had... I know it's not a movie. I know, oh, did you say Minions? <laughs> minions was okay. There was some innuendos, but anyways, shh. I, I, I have the freedom to go to watch these things and to do these things or listen to certain types of music. You know, he says all things are lawful for me, but then he, but he, then he said, here's the kicker. He says, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are beneficial, right? I may have the freedom to do this, to hang out with these certain kids or to do that or to go to here or to watch this, or listen to that, and there's a plethora of other things. I have the freedom. I'm a grown man, right? I also have the freedom, not just in the sense of me being mature and old enough, but I have the freedom by the grace of God to do certain things, right? And, and there's certain areas where, where I do. But when Paul says not all things are, are beneficial, I think, yeah, I have the freedom to go watch those movies, but is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is, is the only pro to it entertainment? But then the con aspect of it is it's demonic, it's influential, it mocks, it's a, it's a mockery of God and the things of God and, and his word. Does that outweigh the, the, the value of the entertainment? No, it, it doesn't. So maybe I have the freedom to go watch it, but I know that I have the freedom to not watch it and that it's not helpful to me. And I'll say this, sometimes it's, it's a lot harder to abstain from things than to just do whatever you want. Right? And so God has to give you that ability, that power through the Holy Spirit to abstain, because I know how tempting it is. I know how tempting it is to do things that the rest of the world is doing, to do things that the rest of your friends are doing, or to do things that the rest of even the youth group is doing. And they might say that they're Christians, right? And I'm not saying that they're not Christians by doing these things, but sometimes you have to follow what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, even if it makes you look to be different or weird, right? And that, that's going to happen. So he says, not all, not all things are helpful. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So yeah, I could listen to that music. I could watch those movies. But man, I don't want it to have any foothold in me. I don't want to fill my ears, my heart, my mind with these wicked things, right? I, I want it to be good and pleasant and noble, the things that, that, that Paul tells us to, to think upon, right? That's what I want to fill my mind with. That's what I want to fill my heart with. And so... You know, we have that. I'll turn really quick to Romans chapter 5, another area, another aspect of the law and the grace that we have, which Paul speaks of. Romans chapter 5.
No, sorry, chapter 6. Oh, man, you don't even have to turn the page. <laughs> Romans chapter 6, verse 1. This is what Paul says. What shall we say then? What do we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Mm. Yeah, I'm under grace. Do I take advantage of that grace? Do I go out? Do I do stupid stuff? Do I do this on Saturday night and then Sunday morning I, I come to church and I pray that God will forgive me because he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, right? He will do that. That's just the amazing God that we have. And he knows our stupidity. He knows our hypocrisy. But still, if we come to him humbly, I mean, we, we, can, we can have that grace. <coughs> the pride, the proudful, they don't. He says, should we, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Do we take advantage of that? Do we, should we? No, th- I think then we don't really understand what grace is, or maybe we've never really experienced grace if we take advantage of that grace. The grace frees us from the sin that we shouldn't continue in it. He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So we're freed by the grace of God, that we're not bound by anything, right? But it's by that grace of God that I do anything that is righteous, right? I I don't do good works to receive grace. I do good works because I have received grace. I abstain from these things because I have grace, right? And that's, that's a beautiful thing that we can see this morning. So let's turn back to Luke chapter 11 as Jesus continues to give these woes to the, to the lawyers, to the scribes. He says again, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one, one of your fingers. <coughs> How many of you guys have had parents who have parented this way, and I'm guilty of it, I've done it, where they say this, do as I say, not as I do. Have they ever done that to you? Yeah. Or maybe they haven't said it verbally, but you've seen it. You're like, Dad, you tell me to do that, but you don't even do it, right? My son will call me out on that all the time, right? Uh, on other, I wish I had an example, but it's really funny, and I get really annoyed. I'm like, man, you're right. And, uh, you know, or, or Mom, you know, you tell, me, you tell me not to do this, but you're not doing either, right? And so... This is what Jesus is getting at with these, these scribes. He's like, you're putting all these burdens on people and all these things that they need to do to, to, to come to me or to be right with me. And, and what you don't realize is that you're putting these burdens on them and you yourselves don't even do it. I'm not, I'm, they, don't, they do realize it, right? Because there's this, this, this double standard that they have. And now, goodness, if, if this wasn't a perfect example of what we went through in 2020 with our government, right? I, I don't know if you saw it, but... The world we live in straight up lied to us, just like we see with the scribes and the lawyers here. That it was, you do this, but we don't have to, right? And they, they may have fooled a few of you. Maybe, maybe you don't even care. When I was a kid, I didn't care about politics. It meant nothing to me. And it really, it's, it's stupid. But unfortunately, in 2020, it brought out, you know, just how evident and corrupt we are as people, especially if we're not born again. And so... Yeah, they would come up with all these rules and regulations for us as individuals, as corporations, but for they themselves, no, they didn't abide by them, right? And they got called out on it, right? A lot of times. And so, and this is, this is for both parties, you know? So, and that's, that's just the way we are without Christ is that we become those hypocrites and we can put burdens upon people. And unfortunately, we see this within the church too that are mimicking 
what the scribes are doing here. <coughs> they put undue burdens upon people that are unnecessary, that are unnecessary. And, and ultimately, that burden weighs them down so much that they aren't able to see Christ for who he is, that there's freedom in him, that there is no burden. And that, that if there is actual literal burden, that Jesus tells us that he, he carries it with us, that, he, that we get yoked together and he carries our burden with us. But they're so burdened down that they weren't able to come to Jesus. And we're going to see this later on. And he says, Woe to you in verse 47, for you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. He says, look, you're, you're, you're taking care of these tombs. You know, you're making them nice. You're building them for all these prophets. But your fathers were the ones that killed them. And what he's going to get at as we continue to read, he's like, you are like your fathers. It's so crazy how we start to romanticize the past when it wasn't that great. It's kind of like the, the, uh, the Israelites when they left Egypt, right? I mean, they were in slavery for 400 years, right? And they were in slavery, like, it was harsh in the last part of it. It was not fun. But, you know, after being in the wilderness for about 20 minutes, they're like, oh, we're hungry, we want meat, we hate it out here, I want to go back to Egypt, it was so awesome. <laughs> it's so dumb how we romanticize things in the past that weren't good. Or we romanticize people who are dead, right? And so Jesus is saying, look, your fathers were the ones who killed these prophets. You're, you're making them to be, you know, it, it, it's a fake adoration is what he's saying. Because you're, you're adoring these ones that are dead, Yet the ones that are alive and the ones to come, you're going to kill just like your father, your fathers. And even so, the most important of them all, Jesus Christ, who's the one saying all this, they want to kill him. So it's like, you hypocrites, you, you, you're so blind, you don't see. He says again, you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them and you build their tombs. Jesus, again, it's what he's saying. He's saying, you build these tombs, you romanticize, you have this adoration, but in reality, you mimic exactly what your fathers do and did, and they're the ones that killed him in the first place. He says, therefore, in verse 49, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. That there will be a day of reckoning, that there will be a day where, where people who killed the prophets will be held accountable for what they did. This is what Jesus is saying. From the foundation of the world, right, it may be required of this generation. He says, from the blood of Abel, right, to the blood of Zechariah, the, these, from, from A to Z, it's not really what that means, because <laughs> it's English, right? It wasn't written in English. But essentially, that is kind of what it means, because Abel was the very first martyr, right? Remember that story? Genesis, two brothers, one gave faithfully to God, the other one did not give faithfully. We see that in Hebrews, <clears throat> that Abel gave in faith, Cain did not, right? And when Cain was called out on it, again, you can do one of two things. You can get angry, which then, you can get hurt, which turns into anger, which turns into doing something stupid, or you can humble yourself and, and realize, yeah, I, I did something wrong and seek the forgiveness of God. Well, what'd he do? He got hurt, he got angry, and then he killed his brother, right? I mean, like, to, to think that was the first death, the first murder, like, the, to think that was even 
you know, that he was capable of doing it, but that's because his heart was bad, it turned into the murder of Abel. So we've got the blood of Abel. He was the very first one. It just so happens that his name starts with an A. Then we got the blood of Zechariah in Second Chronicles. We see him, and I don't, I don't have it with me, but we see him also being martyred. And again, his name just so happens to start with a Z, so it's kind of A to Z. But So you've got Abel, who's the first martyr, and then you've got Zechariah, who's the last martyr in the Old Testament. Okay? Even though it's Second Chronicles, it's, it's the oldest book. It's the last book. And so that's what Jesus is saying from, from the beginning to the end, from the first to the last, from Abel to Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. You hypocrites, you romanticize those who your fathers killed, and you are like your fathers. And you reject those who are alive, but you adore the ones that are dead. There's no difference in the two, but you're just a bunch of hypocrites. And he goes on to say, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. What do you think the key of knowledge is? The Bible. Good job, guys. You know, ever, you ever heard of like the mysteries of God and, and all these fancy things? Sometimes the Bible is just, it's what it means. It's, it's the scriptures. He says, you, you have taken away the key of knowledge, the, the scriptures. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. And, and we see that happening now. I think you, you can look at this one of two ways. That we have many people who take away the, the, the secret of knowledge or the key of knowledge, which is the word of God, and they, people don't en- truly enter into it, that, that they don't fully understand it. And we talked about this on Wednesday a little bit, how the best way to really understand the Word of God is through the Spirit of God, that you must have the Holy Spirit. It's more than just a degree or logic or knowledge. It's the Spirit of God that reveals the knowledge, that reveals the Scriptures. And so there's many people who don't enter into it, and they try to teach the Word of God, and they do it wrong. And so that hinders, as Jesus says, it hinders those who are also trying to enter in. And so when you're, when you're theologically or doctrinally incorrect, you know, you could be teaching and preaching a different gospel, which means that you're entering into the wrong door, right? And so we see that happening. That's, that's one way that you can look at it, is that there's these false teachers out there. A second way you can look at it is that there's people who are, are vehemently against Christianity and Scripture itself, and they don't want anything to do with it, and they will try in any such way, and you see this with a lot of, um, if you go to, to colleges with you know, your professors and stuff like that, I'm not saying every professor is like this, but you will come across a few who are completely and adamantly against Christianity and against Scripture because it doesn't make sense to their, their, their mind. And so they, because they don't understand it, they don't want you to understand it. They don't want you to follow it. And so they will hinder you from doing that. That's just one example of, of a type of people. And so because they've taken away the key of knowledge and they didn't enter into yourselves, and those who were entering in, you also hindered. And so the, the lawyers were doing this. So they didn't fully understand, even though that they were well-versed in the scriptures, they had it wrong. And so if they're leading people in the wrong place and people are following, they're hindering them. It's kind of like the, the blind leading the blind, which we talked about a few weeks ago, right? He says, if, if you fall into a ditch, they're going to fall into a ditch. You know, so he calls them, again, a bunch of hypocrites and all these woes that he's casting upon them. And so it says in verse 53, we'll come for a close. And as he, Jesus, said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him <coughs> vehemently. 
and to cross-examine him about many things. Again, Jesus hit him where it hurt, <laughs> and they weren't happy about it. And so what they tried to do is they tried to try to find some dirt on Jesus. Well, if you're going to say all these things about us, we're going to find something on you, right? Isn't that kind of like back to fourth grade? I mean, actually not even. We kind of still do that as teenagers and adults. And, uh, and so they, they, they start to assail him and cross-examine him. They try to, to catch him in something. It says, lying in wait for him in verse 54 and seeking to catch him in something he might say that he might accuse that they might accuse him. And so, again, there's one of, things, one of two things that you can do when the truth is given to you. You can either reject it in pride, right, which, which brings about so many wicked things in us, or the truth can really humble us and bring us to our knees, and it can free us and it can empower us if we seek the grace through Christ when we confess our sins and believe in him. And it's a beautiful and a wonderful thing and so we, we see these hypocrites with the Pharisees, the scribes. Jesus has dinner with them. But Jesus cares about them, right? Like, so he, he tells them what they're doing is wrong so that they can change, right? I mean, like, if I'm doing something as a husband that's wrong, I want my wife to tell me so that I can change, so I can be a better husband. Or the same thing as a father or a friend. And especially as a disciple of Jesus, if there's something in me that, that is not of Christ, I want Jesus to expose it so that way I can be more intimate with him. Because that's what I want as a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you could care less, right? But that's what I want. So Jesus calls him out, and they try to catch him in something. They want to accuse him. But as we all know, because Jesus is perfect, they're not going to find anything, right? There is no dirt on him. There's nothing. And they, they eventually, at the end of Jesus' life, and, and what they crucify him for, they find one thing, but it's still not wrong. It's still not a sin. It's still not a lie. And what was the one thing that they found against Jesus that they used to crucify him for? Yeah. That they claimed to be the Son of God. Right? They're like, you ain't the Son of God? Well, you found out when that temple veil ripped and Jesus was gone out of the tomb that he really was, right? So, oh, and then also when he reappeared again after he died? Yeah, like, <laughs> I can't do that. I can barely get out of bed when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> so... Jesus obviously is the Son of God, and so when he claims to be the Son of God, it's not a lie, but they use that against him, in a sense, to, to, to justify wanting to crucify him. But ultimately, they crucify him not because Jesus was bad or there was anything he did that was wrong, but it was because of what was in their heart, right? Be, because they were wicked, they were evil, and they wanted to take out on someone who was calling them out for it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our, our time in your word. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your goodness towards us. Lord, we thank you that you are all about truth. You love truth. And as, as Pilate asked you and he said, what is truth? Lord, it was one of the greatest and most profound questions that we see in Scripture. And ironically, you are truth and you are standing right in front of him. And so, Lord, I thank you that you are truth. But at the same time, I also thank you that you are love. Lord, you tell us in 1 John that, that God is love. And so we thank you that we have a God that is loving and is truthful. And Lord, if there's anything that you reveal to us in Scripture, Lord, through your truth, that, that kind of might, might hurt our feelings, that might go against what our flesh wants, Lord, I pray that we would receive it in humility, Lord, that it would cause us to fall to our knees, that, that we would confess and cry out to you, Lord, that you would do the ultimate change, the ultimate cleansing for us. And Lord, we know that we are, 
we are bound by grace, Lord, that we walk by grace. But I pray, Lord, for these kids that we would not take advantage of it. Lord, that we would not sin knowing that your grace abounds. Lord, that we would not take advantage of knowing that all things are lawful for us, but truly understanding that not all things are beneficial, not all things are helpful. And so I pray that you'd reveal those things to us. Whatever it may be, I know it's different for every kid in this room, but I know through your Holy Spirit you can reveal those things to us. And I pray that we would be obedient to the things that the Holy Spirit tells us. So we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.